whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially whenever my hypos get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off, then I count it high time to watch TV as soon as I can. I'm Panicky in the UK, this is Panicky Pictures. <coughs> and if you're wondering why I'm paraphrasing the opening to Moby Dick in my intro, then you're obviously not subscribed to Well Weekly. It does not sponsor this podcast, I just think it's a fun thing. Uh, some guy is uh, sending chapters of Moby Dick into your inbox, intended to roughly coincide with like the chronology of the story, I guess. And uh, and it's fun. It's uh, it's kind of like a takeoff of Dracula Daily, uh, which ran last year, which I only found out about like halfway through and didn't get to it. Anyway, you know, this has nothing to do with anything, but hey, why not why why not join us? We're reading Moby Dick, man. Okay. So, in my last episode, I said that I was going to do uh, an episode like the same week or a week later where I was going to talk about Disney Plus. It didn't happen, you know, life happened instead. And uh, I'll just do a really uh, quick pressy of what I would have said, uh, which is basically that you can read most of my reviews on Letterboxd if you want to see what I thought. I mostly caught up on the MCU with a couple of exceptions. I bailed on Moon Knight like halfway through, I really wasn't enjoying it, but there were a couple of TV shows on there that I did really enjoy. One of them was Maggie, uh, which got cancelled after one season. It was like a psychic sitcom. Um, I didn't really find the whole high concept psychic part that compelling, but I did think that the writing was good and it just worked quite well as a sort of generic hangout sitcom. Um, it wasn't incredible, um, but I, it's kind of a shame that it got cancelled. I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, and then the other thing that I watched was The Orville, season two specifically, and I didn't think that I would like that show at all, and I was completely flabbergasted to find that it's actually really good. I, I think the first season is supposed to be bad, um, hence I skipped it, but the second season is really good, and, um... Hopefully next time I get Disney Plus I can uh, finish that show. So that's that. But anyway, this one is basically the same idea, except I'm going to be talking about Netflix instead of Disney Plus, because I finally cancelled my Netflix account after I want to say like 14 straight years of having it. I've definitely had Netflix since I was in university the first time around, which is a while now, and I don't think I've ever cancelled it before. I think I've just been like steadily paying the money every month for most of my adult life. Um, and I kind of got to a point where I was like, what am I doing? You know, weeks will go by when I won't watch anything on Netflix. Uh, this is ridiculous. And I've decided now that I'm going to kind of rotate streaming services. I think it's a much more sensible way of doing things, especially as their prices go up and up and there are more and more of them. So in that last month or so that I still had it, I crammed in as much as I possibly could. So essentially what I'll do is I will talk about the movies that I watched on Netflix uh, fairly briefly. La, 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 la. 
because I did write them all up on Letterboxd, so you can go and look at a more in-depth review from me over there if you want. And then I'll talk about the shows that I watched uh, on Netflix in slightly more detail. Now, I'm calling this episode Netflix November, but I'm actually going to start at the end of October and go through to the beginning of December, because, you know, nothing matters, right? Uh, so yeah, let's just get started. So the uh, the first thing I'll talk about is Werewolves Within, which I watched on the 22nd of October, kind of as like, I guess, a Halloween-themed thing. It, it's certainly a horror comedy. It's fun. It's not great, honestly, um, and a lot of it is down to the uh, charm of the leads, who are Sam Richardson, who was in, uh, well, I think you should leave is the thing that I first saw him in. Uh, and then I saw him in The After Party, which I talked about on my Apple TV Plus episode. Or well, one of those. <laughs> I think I did too. Uh, but yeah, I talked about him in one of those. It'll be in the title or the description or whatever if you want to listen back to that. And it's also got uh, Milana Weintraub, who I think... Like, in the States, she's best known for an ad campaign that she was in, but I know her from Other Space, which was this Paul Feig sitcom on, like, Yahoo, back when they were a streaming service briefly, which I really liked, um, and obviously got cancelled right away because (laughs) the Yahoo streaming service died a death very quickly. Uh, And then she's also the voice of Squirrel Girl, And I haven't actually, I love the Squirrel Girl comics by Ryan North, but I haven't uh, listened to or watched uh, the things where she's Squirrel Girl. So they're both very charming and I think that they're kind of the reason this works to the extent that it does work. Uh, It's based on a video game, but that's not made clear in the marketing at all. But it is the reason why the movie is called Werewolves Within, which is the name of the video game, but doesn't really make that much sense as the name of the movie because there's only one werewolf and for most of the film they don't even really acknowledge that there's a werewolf so it's weird because the audience goes in knowing that it's obviously going to be a werewolf movie but the characters spend a really long time looking at other theories which is it's kind of frustrating because it's like there's no real ambiguity from an audience point of view whether it's going to be a werewolf movie or not so you're just kind of like waiting for that part of it to start and it also doesn't really make use of what i think is the most compelling aspect of the werewolf mythos which is essentially this idea that it's like people struggling with a lot of their own humanity because it's not told from the point of view of the werewolf which most werewolf films are you don't get that. So, you know, I found it kind of disappointing, but I will say Michaela Watkins gives a really great performance, um, very funny, slightly more heightened than what everybody else is doing, uh, but definitely really good. So, you know, it's I, I wouldn't sort of recommend it, but also if you feel like watching it, go ahead. It's not bad. Uh, it's just kind of underwhelming. So then on the 25th of October, I had pretty much given up on um, watching horror movies at this point. I just really wasn't in the mood and it felt very performative. Like, what? Am, why am I doing this? Like, why do I feel like I have to mark Halloween in this very specific way when actually 
like I'm not a huge horror fan there are some horror movies that I really like but kind of forcing it when I'm not in the mood for it and blah 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 so I gave up so I watched Together Together which is just a lovely tender kind of low stakes indie drama um it stars Patty Harrison another person that I first saw on I Think You Should Leave and I mainly know her from I Think You Should Leave I really would recommend this film, actually. Um, It's very sweet. Uh, It's essentially about um, a surrogate and her relationship with the father, who is played by Ed Helms. And it's just a a very kind of, as I say, low-stakes exploration of that dynamic, that relationship, and kind of some of the ideas around, like, gender and parenthood that emerge from that situation. And if you, if that sounds like something that you're interested in, I think you'll like this movie. If it sounds like a huge snooze fest to you, then avoid it. You know, you're pretty much getting what you think you're getting with this movie. Uh, But if you're like me, uh, that might be really good. Then on the 27th of October, I actually did watch a horror movie and I watched Tremors and I, I had a great time. You know, you've probably seen Tremors. I probably don't need to get into it that much. Uh, it's it's a fun movie. Uh, I'm glad I finally watched it. I don't know why it took me so long to get to it. But yeah, a good time. Uh, <laughs> I don't have that much more to say about it. It is what it is. But yeah, I'd watch it again. Alright, so now actually getting into November, the first thing I watched was Kajillionaire on the second. And wow, so this is a Miranda July movie. Um, it stars Evan Rachel Wood and... Gina Rodriguez, and then Deborah Winger and Richard Jenkins play Wood's parents. I don't think I've ever seen a Miranda July film the whole way through before. I think I saw part of Me and You and Everyone We Know, like, on late night TV, and, um, I found it slightly off-putting. I think it was a scene, basically, where, like, a kid is... Uh, talking online to an adult who kind of thinks that they're in an emotional affair and hasn't realised that that they're talking to a kid. I don't know, it it was uncomfortable. I, I maybe would like to go back to it and give it another shot, but that was kind of, I think, my only real knowledge of her films, apart from sort of what I'd read and heard about them in the past. And, you know, obviously she's not a filmmaker for everyone, and for a lot of this film I was struggling to fully emotionally engage with it I was I was having some trouble but there was just a point where it kind of turned and it absolutely drew me in and I found myself just completely going with it and really really engaged with what was happening and really moved and there was a point where I thought it was going to, the ending was going to go in a particular direction that I wasn't sure I could sort of accept. Um, and I was, I was always kind of like bargaining with myself, like, am I going to be okay with this ending if that's the way it goes, you know? And then it went in a different direction that I just thought was perfect. Maybe because I'd prepared myself for a disappointing ending, but I, it just was a really exceptional payoff for me. And again, like Together Together, it's kind of this like tender indie drama. It's also a queer love story. And um, yeah, just really delightful, I think. Uh, So again, 
this is not going to be a film that is for everybody, but if you think it might be for you, then I would really highly recommend that you give it a shot because I was just so won over by it. <sighs> All right. Uh, now, on the 5th, for reasons that I truly cannot explain, I watched Wild Mountain Time. I mean, it's not like I hadn't been warned. But I don't know, I saw somebody on Twitter saying that like it was actually really good and misunderstood and oh, people are dismissive of films aimed towards women. I mean, I agree with that in principle, but I don't think that it applies to this movie, which is just bad. Maybe it works on stage, I don't know. Uh, but man, this movie sucks. You know, I've seen a lot of criticism of Christopher Walken's accent. I actually don't think Christopher Walken is doing the worst accent in this movie. I think Emily Blunt is doing the worst accent in this movie. And, like, I love Emily Blunt. I think she's great. Uh, you know, she can do a great American accent, but the Irish accent in this? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, not good. And, yeah, just an unhinged movie. I mean, the fact that I feel like most people have probably been spoiled for, like, what the twist is in this movie, but I won't spoil it just in case. But there's an unhinged twist in this movie. Like, the whole thing isn't obviously, like, a will-they-won't-they they thing, but there's some kind of problem that is stopping the two young lovers from getting together, and for a long time you don't know what that is, and then at the end, in the third act, in a very talky, very stagey scene, it's revealed, and it's something unhinged. And... It's not that I can't imagine a movie where that reveal would have worked. Like, for example, I feel like maybe Miranda July could have made a movie where that, that reveal worked. In this movie, it does not work. It's just bananas. So yeah, do not recommend. Let's move on. I watched Mr. Roosevelt on the 9th, which is a kind of hyper-low-budget indie movie about a woman who has moved to LA to pursue a career in entertainment and uh, broken up with her boyfriend and left her cat behind in Austin and then her cat has a medical emergency and so she goes back to Austin uh, and stays with her ex who now has a new girlfriend played by Britt Lauer. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right but uh, she was in Severance and I think she's great. Uh, again, like I feel like this is a premise um, that could work, but I just don't think it does work in the execution. And look, you know, it's it's really hard to make a good movie on a shoestring budget, and I do appreciate movies and filmmakers that try to make that work, but in this case I just don't think it comes off. It's just a little bit too farcy, and sorry, not farcy, like the language, but farcical would be the word. And I think that's really hard to pull off, and in this case, it just doesn't come off. Um, so this one was a bit of a disappointment. And also, you know, maybe I should not have been watching a movie about, like, animals having medical emergencies, because, you know, I just, especially at that time of year, because, uh, uh, yeah, it was just uh, not great for me. But yeah, so it wouldn't be wouldn't be one that I would recommend. However, in contrast, on the eleventh, I watched The Sea Beast, a real delight. I have seen it compared to How to Train Your Dragon, but 
I only saw that once when I was super, super tired and I fell asleep halfway through. So um, I actually don't remember the plot of that movie or really very much about it at all. (laughs) So uh, this film may have been more derivative than I thought it was, um, simply because I don't have that kind of reference point. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I think there are going to be obvious comparisons to Disney, especially because the director used to work at Disney and was a co-director on Moana. And, you know, you can see the influence of Moana on this film to a degree, or at least, you know, it shares some of the same ideas and obviously the seafaring setting and everything. But I do think it's doing something different than what Disney does, particularly in its attitude towards the monarchy, which was really, really refreshing to me as somebody who's watched a lot of Disney movies. This has a a very, very different conception of, of what the monarchy looks like, which I appreciated a lot. But what it does share with Disney, I think, is uh, a kind of strong commitment to an ecological message, which has kind of actually been very present in Disney for decades, uh, for a surprisingly long time. And, you know, it's just a it's just a really sweet film. A couple of criticisms that I would make are that Carl Urban, uh, just stop giving him roles where he has to do an accent. He sucks at it. I'm not going to belabor the point, but his accent in this movie is just all over the place and I found it really off-putting. I actually, from the trailer, thought it was going to be worse than it was, but it was still really bad. And, you know, it's just hard. It's hard not to let that bug me, especially when he's playing one of the two main characters. Uh, It was just annoying. Also, this movie is way too long for a kid's movie, and that's just a trend lately. I think, you know, I would say the same thing about Briar and the Last Dragon, which I liked a lot, but it was super long. Way too long for a movie aimed at kids, you know? Obviously, when a movie is going straight to streaming, sure, you know, you can put it on pause, but (sighs) I... I don't like the idea of movies being structured with like the expectation that they're going to be paused in mind unless they have an intermission built in like movies in the old days used to, which was a great idea. Bring back the intermission, man. I mean, I know there are like industry reasons why that's not going to happen, but anyway, I like this movie a lot despite a couple of reservations. Uh, and again, I get into all of that in a lot more detail on Letterboxd. Next day, I watched Blonde a film that people really hate. I didn't hate it. I I like Andrew Dominic. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is, I think, just a spectacular film. And yeah, I actually found myself uh, really moved and engaged. I think some people have felt that it treats Marilyn Monroe or uh, Norma Jean Baker in this sort of, I don't know, mean-spirited or undignified way. I don't agree with that, you know? I think it's kind of in dialogue with the mythos around Marilyn in a way that, you know, lots of films are around public figures, like Elvis, for example. There are movies like Bubba Hotep or Elvis and Nixon, which don't literally stick to the historical truth, but are looking at the, uh, you know, the mythos around that person, how they were kind of larger than life, how they became a character in the public imagination more than a person. And I think this film is about that in a way that's actually really interesting. I don't know anything about the novel. I know that Joyce Carol Oates is 
I don't know that much about her, but I know that she's a bad tweeter. <laughs> I don't. I really. I. I don't really know very much about her politics or anything, so I can't judge this as an adaptation of the novel at all. Um, I can only look at it on its own merits, and for me, it actually worked really well. And I know that I'm hugely in the minority there, but I. I don't think that it is um, mean-spirited. I think it's actually very compassionate. And the other thing I think some people have accused it of is of being anti-choice, but I I really think that that is mistaking the narrative voice of the film with something that is happening in the character's mind. Again, this is something that I get into in a lot more detail on my letterbox review so if you're interested please do check that out all right let's move on so on the 14th luckiest girl alive starts out feeling like it's gonna be a kind of gone girl-esque sort of um thriller domestic suspense uh type movie um and then turns into something very different in the third act uh it engages with some very controversial topics uh, around sexual violence and also school shootings. I think that this is a story that wants to be about sexual violence and which brings in a school shooting in order to kind of support the discussion around sexual violence and I think that there's something problematic there because I think that they're two topics that deserve equal weight and I feel like this film kind of just uses one in service of the other and I I disagree with that choice. I also, so this movie is based on a novel that came out in 2015, so before the Me Too movement, but the film itself is made 2022, so five years after the Me Too movement, so it ends up kind of creating this alternate history where the Me Too movement happened in a completely different way Obviously, you know, that's not the fault of the novel, but the movie is being made seven years later and is not taking into account things that have happened since then. And I think even though it does set it in 2015, I don't think that solves the problem. Um, I think it's it's really difficult to watch this film and not be kind of like, well, hang on a minute, that's not how things shook out, right? So it kind of like creates an alternate universe where things just happen in a completely different way and I don't really know that it adds anything very interesting or substantial to that kind of discussion. So yeah, so it's a disappointment. I think it starts off with some promise but then it just takes it in a different direction that I, I didn't think really worked. Uh, that I have marked um, on the same day uh, that I watched Nine. I think it was like, you know, I finished Luckiest Girl Alive after midnight uh, and then that evening I watched Nine. Um, Nine is a relatively short animated feature uh, where Elijah Wood is a little ragdoll guy uh, trying to like save his ragdoll friends in a post-apocalyptic world. Um, there's good and bad here. Um, I think the world building is really interesting and it's really interesting visually, but the story is kind of basic and the characters are very kind of archetypal which actually kind of makes sense within the story but it makes it doesn't make it super interesting to follow those characters 
And the other thing is that, like, the gender balance is completely out of whack. So Jennifer Connelly, who's the only woman in the movie, basically, I feel like ends up being this sort of token action chick slash love interest in a way that uh, I just found frustrating. So a mixed one, um, but pretty disposable, I would say. Alright, on the 16th, I watched Clash Clash of Egos, uh, which is kind of like a satire of the, like, Danish film industry in the mid-2000s, which I really don't know anything about. I think that there's a strong premise here. It's uh, basically a guy who wants to take his kids to the Harry Potter movie, but it's sold out, so he ends up taking them to this art house flop, and then really wants to get the money back from his tickets to the point where he stalks the director and through a a series of events ends up actually collaborating with the director on a new action movie. I, I I don't think it's a bad idea, I just don't really think it comes off. But I could totally see an English language remake of this actually working really well as opposed to something like Force Majeure where like, why did you need to remake that when the original already was good, right? Like, <laughs> why, why are people always remaking stuff that worked the first time, you know? Remake something that has promise, but, you know, could be improved on. It's the same thing with Rams. It's like, Rams was a great movie. You don't need to make another Rams you know, remake a movie that didn't work. And um, if anybody wants me to remake Clash of Egos, uh, hit me up. Uh, I do a great job. I have I have so many ideas. Netflix? Uh, oh no, I'm not subscribed to you anymore, so you're probably not going to give me any money. Okay, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> if anybody out there listening is like a, a head of a streaming service, then, uh, then please let me know. I think I do. I think I do a really good job on this. Anywho, um, on the 18th I watched Copland, um, which I've been wanting to watch for a while now, and I do think it's a good movie. I think it's dated, it kind of, it engages with police corruption, but I don't think it does it in a way that we would really recognise today as being relevant, you know, it, its treatment of its black characters is is quite ungenerous i think they're generally like angry or scary most of the time and it kind of feels like again this is a movie where police violence against black people is kind of a supporting element of the plot rather than being given the weight it deserves so i don't think it's aged brilliantly in that sense but really fantastic central performance from Sylvester Stallone doing this really interesting kind of schlubby character that I don't associate with him at all. And there's also a, a really wonderful performance from the late Ray Liotta. Uh, so I think it's it's worth watching for those performances alone, even if there are kind of issues with it. So yeah, give it a watch. Now, after that, uh, I watched The Other Side of the Wind, which was the 
incomplete uh, movie that Orson Welles left behind when he died. He had been working on it for years and years and years, had all of this footage, all of these notes, but never completed it. And it was finally completed in 2018 by Peter Bogdanovich, among others. I don't think it works at all. And I get into some of the reasons why I don't think it works in my letterboxd review. But the bottom line, I think, is that this was always a movie that Wells felt would be discovered in the edit, and he wasn't around to do that discovery. So instead, the final product is this kind of, like, slavish film that follows his notes precisely. But those notes, of course, they're static, they're fossilised, whereas I think if he had been around to do it himself... He would have made discoveries and adaptations as he went along. Obviously, I can only speculate. But I think that this is maybe a movie that is a victim to trying to be too faithful to Wells's notes when Wells himself probably would not have been that faithful to his own notes as he went through the editing process, if that makes sense. Um, but I did watch They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, which is the documentary of the making of the movie the following day, and I thought it was great. Uh, I thought that was a, a way better movie than The Other Side of the Wind. Um, so if you're only going to watch one of them, I'd strongly recommend that you watch the documentary They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, uh, which also... You know, it goes into a lot of kind of Wells' biography, and I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. You know, I was a big fan of The Eyes of Orson Wells as well. So that's, of the two, that is the one that I would recommend. Okay, on the 21st of November, I watched Do Revenge, and I didn't like it. Uh, it's basically like a 90s movie pastiche, but, you know, able to discuss topics like queerness and kind of double standards around slut shaming I guess in a more direct way than those 90s movies were able to do which you know in principle is great but I just feel like this is a movie that is more about name checking other teen movies than it is about being a really strong teen movie in its own right there are things I think that do work about it um, there's kind of a twist that I didn't really see coming that was quite ingenious, I think. Um, but there was just a lot about it that didn't work for me. And I I don't really think it has anything very deep to say about slut-shaming and double standards, you know? It, it's pretty basic stuff, and I, I just don't think it's very nuanced or interesting on that topic. Maybe it doesn't need to be, you know? It's a, it's a teen high school movie, and to be fair, that's not a genre that I tend to respond to particularly well although there was a movie um plan b uh that i watched on disney plus which i thought was absolutely great uh and that was like a, a teen high school movie so there are exceptions and hey you know i'm a huge huge fan of, of clueless uh which would be another exception which this movie references a whole ton but uh yeah i don't know i just found it a letdown i just think homage is lazy and you need to have something to say that goes beyond look at all the movies I've seen I'm referencing them now you know but a lot of people have really liked it and I am not the target audience for this movie so you know whatever 
Uh, all right. On the 22nd, I watched What Did Jack Do, finally, the David Lynch short film about a monkey who is accused of a crime. And uh, I, it took me a little while to be won over by this one. Um, at first, it just, it almost kind of felt like Lynch doing an impression of himself. Like, what's weird? I know, a monkey that talks and he's being interrogated. But actually, I weirdly got invested um, emotionally in the story. Um, I don't really like it when monkeys are used as actors. I do think it's exploitative. But the way that this was done, I, I feel like the monkey probably didn't have to be on camera for that long or do anything super unnatural. Uh, at least I hope not. Um, and that was kind of the way it looked to me. So yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it. And I'm, you know, I'm a big Lynch fan in general. So, uh, so yeah, it worked for me. Oh, all right. So on the 22nd also, I watched The House, um, which is currently at the top of my list of the films of 2022, uh, which I'm hoping to um, do another episode on where I, I give my ranked list. Uh, and talk about those movies in more detail but this is just I, I found it totally stunning um it's an anthology film with three separate stories all set around the same house it's stop motion with needle felted armatures which i think is really charming the first is this kind of dark fairy tale story which very creepy magical affecting uh, the, the middle portion stars Jarvis Cocker as this mouse or possibly rat. Uh, I thought he was a mouse while I was watching it, but then in a lot of the reviews it says he's a rat, so I don't know. Um, but uh, either way, uh, he, he's trying to flip a house, the same house, possibly, maybe not. And uh, it's also very creepy, but uh, a different tone really poignant in fact that the whole thing is incredibly poignant but uh that one is much more kind of absurdist well no they're all, no. it's so hard to explain but this is just a gorgeous film and then the third part uh is set in the future and it's this really lovely story again it's it's another post-apocalyptic story and it, it's about you know evolving learning to move on uh, it really touched me, and it was it's a beautiful, uplifting note to leave the film on when the first two are so kind of dark and creepy and disturbing. And yeah, I just was completely transported by this movie. I think all three parts are fantastic in different ways, um, and I think that the, the kind of way that they complement one another is so strong. They're all really different, but they all kind of deal with similar themes and ideas. And uh, yeah, as I say, it's it was my top movie that I watched in 2022. Uh, so I I could not recommend this highly enough. If you enjoy stop motion anthology, somewhat creepy and disturbing fables, which I do. So yes, a big thumbs up from me on that one. Uh, on the 23rd, I watched Enter Galactic, which is like an animated rom-com. I, I thought the animation was great. You know, it's um, black leads, uh, which obviously, you know, th there aren't a ton of rom-coms, I feel like, with black leads. Uh, well, I, I guess it's kind of, it feels like rom-coms are often quite ghettoized, where you will get 
black rom-coms but they're very much kind of marketed towards a black audience rather than a kind of crossover audience um i haven't seen a ton of them the only one i can think of is baggage claim i'm sure there are some great ones out there but i just i haven't sort of come across them or had the opportunity to see them um i know love and basketball is supposed to be great but i've I've never um had a chance to watch it but anyway so it was it was it was cool to watch a rom-com with black leads but i did have some issues with it it's very schematic i think the kind of female lead gets short shrift you know um it's all male writers and i didn't really feel that it kind of captured the female characters in as interesting or nuanced a way as it did the male characters who i just felt were much more centered and yeah you know you have this kind of like inevitable conflict at the end of act two which it felt very stereotypical. It didn't really feel like it emerged from the characterization. It just felt like a kind of narrative necessity uh, that wasn't properly justified. And there was also like a subplot about the two characters' artistic endeavors. But to me, that ended up feeling more like set dressing than anything that was really explored in an interesting way, even though there were kind of hints of um, you know, like conflicts at work around the creative direction that he was going to take the project in, which I think could have been a really interesting subplot, but it just kind of gets resolved off screen and then just kind of mentioned in a throwaway dialogue exchange rather than actually developed and shown to us. Um, so yeah, I, I found it pretty disappointing in the writing and the narrative, but visually uh, it was really impressive. Uh, there was a lot to like about it, and it was originally conceived of as a show, but ended up kind of going out as a as a feature-length thing. Maybe it would have worked better if it were more serialised, more episodic, I don't know. Um, Kid Cudi, who's the kind of um, creative force behind all of this, uh, wants to make follow-ups. I'd be interested to know how that would work, because... You don't usually get... Uh, the the only kind of serialised rom-com I can think of is, like, Bridget Jones's Diary. But most of the time, rom-coms don't turn into franchises, right? Because they tend to be kind of self-contained narratives. Uh, so I would be kind of interested to see how that would work if there were follow-ups. But, yeah, as I said, I was kind of disappointed by the way it turned out. But it was still worth watching, I think, for the visuals alone. And the music, I mean, like, I'm not personally, like, a huge Kid Cudi fan or anything, but the music is, like, pleasant, you know, like, it's it's fine. Uh, it didn't blow me away, but it certainly wasn't, like, hard to listen to, so. Uh, so, yeah, kind of, like, a um, half-hearted recommendation on that one. On the 24th of November, my true love gave to me The Humans. Uh, not for me. Kind of reminded me weirdly of August Osage County. I think I'm saying that right. I seem to remember it rhyming with sausage. <laughs> but maybe it's Osage County. I can't remember now. Which I don't think is a great movie, but I think is a better movie than this. I know a lot of people have really responded to The Humans, and it is possible that... There are cultural differences at play here because it's set at Thanksgiving and there are a lot of references to 9-11 as being this kind of incredibly pivotal and traumatic moment. I will say 9-11 was a pivotal and traumatic moment in world history, not just for Americans, but I think that internationally maybe the feelings around that are a lot more complicated in terms of the geopolitical 
consequences to that event so uh so yeah i just wonder if maybe there were um some cultural differences at play in my reaction to this movie i also even though i think the direction does try to make the best use of space and tries to make it interesting you know using a lot of kind of dutch angles and kind of interesting tracking shots and stuff i still found it very stagey which doesn't always bother me like for example doubt i think is quote-unquote stagey but it still does work for me as a movie this one just didn't i just found it difficult to respond to it's weird because you know this is a movie about a family where there's a queer kid and there's like this catholic background both of which kind of applies to me in one way or another and also you know somebody struggling with chronic illness and did complicated family dynamics a lot of us can relate to that i certainly can but it just didn't it's not that it didn't ring true it's not that i didn't believe in these characters per se it's just that it didn't resonate with me emotionally and i guess the only character that i could really respond to was steven yin and he's he's kind of sidelined i mean he's great in everything and and you know this is this is a good cast you know um i would also say beanie feldstein playing absolutely abhorrent character that i couldn't stand but <laughs> doing it really well you know she's great amy schumer i think is good in this i'm not always a fan of hers but i do think that she she's good in this movie uh it's richard jenkins again but you know it just didn't work for me so what can i say uh it wasn't for me but others have responded to it so whatever uh and then on the 26th i watched the history of future folk um another kind of shoestring indie it's a kind of sci-fi musical comedy uh with a lot of filk on paper that sounds great to me that's that's right up my alley unfortunately in reality there is a subplot a kind of comic relief subplot in this that completely soured me on it which is basically the kind of sidekick comic relief character essentially like he stalks a woman he forcibly kisses her he drugs her um and it's all kind of like played for comedy as if it's funny it's kind of like oh he's an alien so he doesn't understand social norms but it's like that's not fucking funny man you know and of course in the end she falls in love with him like fuck that and it's such a shame because actually there's a lot about this movie that i think does work um i think it absolutely makes the most of its budget for production value i think the performances are pretty good the music is fun that the plot hangs together nicely there's actually so much to appreciate and if it hadn't been for that subplot then i probably would have really liked it but i just couldn't get over how offensive that was you know and this was a movie that was made in 2012 you know it's not like it was 50 years ago um and i just think that there's no excuse for that which is a shame as i say so i don't know if you think you can get past that element of it then you may enjoy this as i wish that i had but as it was um yeah it just left a really sour taste in my mouth unfortunately and then finally for netflix november the first of december i watched shirley and again this was such a big disappointment to me i was really looking forward to this 
I had like lined up a bunch of movies to watch that I then decided to not watch in favour of watching this movie, which took me like three sittings to get through. I found it really hard work. Uh, it's not the performances. I think the performances are good. I think it creates a strong sense of atmosphere. And in fact, the central character, who is not really Shirley, I would say that the central character is actually Rose, played by Odessa Young. And... There's kind of an interesting story going on here, but I don't think the film is disciplined enough to really bring out what is interesting about the story. And I think that it's a mistake to make it quote-unquote about Shirley Jackson. Now, in my Blonde review, I kind of defend the fact that the film and presumably the novel don't stick to the historical facts. Because I think that that film is in dialogue with the mythos around Marilyn Monroe. Now, maybe it's a double standard, but I think the fact that Shirley doesn't stick to historical facts is a lot more problematic. Because there isn't really a mythos around the life of Shirley Jackson in the same way at all. You know, I think Shirley Jackson, to the extent that she is known, is known for her writing and not her biography. And I think that this movie misrepresents her and her life in a way that I find very confusing. There's a strong implication that the character of Shirley in this movie is resentful of Rose for being pregnant because Shirley is childless. In real life, at the time that this movie is set, she had four children. Now, it's not that I have a moral problem with this exactly, It's just that I don't understand why you would use a real-life figure and then distort their biography in such a way that you might as well have just made a completely fictional character. Like, I, I don't understand why it has to be Shirley Jackson. Maybe if I were more familiar with the novel Hangs a Man, and the the film is kind of about the process of, of writing that novel to a degree, you know, to the extent that it's really about anything, Maybe if I knew the novel better, I would appreciate why they've made those creative choices more. But as it is, it just seems like a really bizarre choice that I don't understand. So yeah, I found this a huge disappointment and it's a real shame. Um, It does make me want to read Hangs a Man, but not because I liked the film, but just because the novel itself sounded interesting. But yeah, I I found this to to be a real letdown uh, and I'm... Sorry to say that it is the last film I watched on Netflix. I wanted to watch Single All The Way, but um, I thought I had an extra day and then my Netflix account... So I thought I was paid up until the third and then I tried to watch it on the second and it already said that I didn't have my account anymore. So I don't know what happened. I'm sure it's not a great movie, but like, you know, you know what you're getting with Single All The Way. I think I probably would have enjoyed it, but I can't possibly tell you uh, because, yeah. Uh, Shirley was the last movie that I watched on Netflix, and uh, that's a real bummer. Sometime later, at Gotham State Penitentiary. Oh my god, that took so much longer than I intended. Uh, my legs fully went to sleep, so I've changed position. Uh, I don't know if it's gonna have like an effect on the quality of the audio, but uh, yeah, I don't want to do myself any like permanent nerve damage. So uh, <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the movies, but I do also want to talk about uh, some TV shows that I watched. I'll probably do it more briefly than I was originally planning to do because that took forever. So that's why you should never get me talking. Um, but uh, there's really only three that I want to talk about, and the first one will not take long because I actually bailed on it really quickly. And that is the show Heartstopper, which I've heard such great things about. And I'm sure that it is great. It's just that for me, you know what? I I think what I eventually arrived at was that it's just way too wholesome. And I just like a little bit of an edge to my media, I think. There is wholesome stuff that I really enjoy. I mean, don't get me started on the Paddington movies. But yeah, I don't know. I... I just wasn't really responding to it. As I've said before, like, teen high school, or in this case, teen, like, secondary school stuff isn't really in my wheelhouse, with a couple of exceptions. It's not the kind of thing that I normally really respond to. So, you know, I I think it just, it just wasn't for me. And maybe it was the mood that I was in as well, you know, but... I just felt like I needed something that had teeth. Which brings us to a show that I really want to talk about, which was tragically cancelled in the last few days. I'm not that surprised. I don't think Netflix did a good job of marketing it. I don't think they really knew how they wanted to sell it. The thumbnail originally had one title, and then it had another title, and the original title was now the subtitle... The name is kind of unwieldy. I mean, I don't think it's bad, but it's definitely a mouthful. So I can kind of understand why this didn't end up attracting as much of an audience as it deserved. But the show is called The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself, also known as Half Bad, The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself. And it's based on a young adult book series, which I had honestly never heard of. Uh, it's called Half Bad. Now, from everything that I've heard about these books, I think that the it sounds like the show is a big, big improvement on those. And it's, it's just great. Uh, it really... I don't think that it's particularly similar to something like The Magicians narratively, but it did kind of fill that hole for me. The Magicians was a show that meant a huge amount to me, and then they made... Some creative choices, but one in particular that um, just really, really upset me and a lot of people and kind of put me off the show. And then, you know, stuff has emerged about behind the scenes stuff. Have I talked about this before? I feel like I might have already ranted about this. I'm sorry. But yeah, so like the magicians kind of left a big hole, I guess, uh, in my life after I stopped watching it. And it still means a lot to me, but obviously I have very kind of mixed feelings about that. And I think in a way, this show kind of plugged that gap for me a little bit, even though, as I say, it's very different. But, you know, it's also kind of contemporary fantasy. I think both of these shows, to some degree, are riffing on Harry Potter, Although I think this one is less so. And I also don't want to fall into the trap of like saying anything that is about people who have magical powers and are young 
is riffing on Harry Potter because I think that's maybe giving Rowling too much credit, given that, you know, there was a ton of stuff prior to her by people like Diana Wynne-Jones and Ursula Le Guin that had already kind of explored those ideas, so it's not like she invented that concept or that genre. But nevertheless, you know, I think that kind of comparisons to Harry Potter are kind of going to be inevitable especially as actually um, Harry Potter is referenced uh, in the show, briefly. But uh, as somebody who was never a huge fan of Harry Potter, this is so much better for me. And it follows a guy called Nathan Byrne, who is the bastard son of the devil himself. Not really a devil, but a powerful blood witch who is known for a particular atrocity against uh, the fairborn witch community. So there's kind of like a an ancient feud uh, between the Fairborns and the Blood Witches. Most of the witches in England are these Fairborns, and the Blood Witches have been driven to Europe. You know, it's it's fairly kind of basic world building, but I think still interesting. There's still something really compelling about it. And another thing that I love about it is that I think it creates a really good sense of place. A lot of the time when I watch things that are supposedly set in England. It's not really in England that I recognise, either because everything is London and I don't live anywhere near London, or because it's this kind of like chocolate box, picture postcard, kind of pastoral fantasy, or you know, it's it's just a kind of very stereotypical view that doesn't really reflect life in modern Britain. There are some exceptions, but most of the time when I watch stuff, even if it was made here, I mean, man, half of the stuff that's made here is either, like, period drama, about the royals, both, or it's set in Cornwall for some reason. I don't know why so much stuff is set in Cornwall, but that seems to be a big thing as well. So it's like, you know, if you want to see yourself represented as a British person, you're basically... You have to be from London, from Cornwall, or from the past, you know? So, you know, I really kind of appreciated the sense of place that I felt it created. And, you know, it's it's a black lead, Jay Lysergo, who I think is really great. It's also queer, and it has this kind of core cast of these three really fantastic characters. Nathan is the main character, as I said, played by Jay Lysergo, and then you've got Annalise played by Nadia Parks and you've got Gabriel who is played by Emilian Vekermans. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, I'm sorry. And you know, I think they're all really great but you know, you also have some very kind of compelling supporting performances. Isabel Jasper Jones plays Jessica Byrne who's kind of the deuterantagonist I guess. You've got Karen Connell as Celia who's this really interesting kind of I guess kind of morally grey sort of ambiguous character. One of my faves. And uh, Paul Reddy as Sol O'Brien who is the main antagonist. That's kind of a spoiler, because he doesn't start out that way, but it's um, it's done really, really well. Um, and then also, I think, a special mention deserves to go to David Gaiassi as Marcus Edge, who is barely in the show at all, but gives a really fantastic performance in the, in the moments when he is in it, and, uh, and really, really powerful. 
So you've got a great cast, you've got really interesting world building and sense of place, you've got this fantastic trio at the centre of it and this amazing dynamic between them, and you've got this kind of magical realism and this high stakes drama, you know, alongside this kind of lower stakes relationship drama, which I actually think is done really well. So I'm I'm so sad that the show was cancelled, but it's not a huge surprise, given I think the way that it was marketed and you know, not to be cynical, but maybe the fact that it's queer and it has a black lead, you know, didn't do it any favours either. And I think that's a real shame. I think it's probably too late to save this show now. There is a petition circulating, but it's very rare for those things to work. And I don't think the fan base is really large enough anyway. But, you know, regardless of that, I still think it's a really fun and satisfying watch, even though we sadly only got one season. And um, I would really highly recommend that you give it a go if you're interested in any of the stuff that I just talked about, any elements of that, you know, kind of contemporary urban fantasy, magical realism, queer relationship drama, you know, something kind of set in like a recognisable modern Britain, all of that stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it was a good show and it'll be sadly missed, but we'll always have that great first season, which is something. And then the other show that I want to talk about is Colony. I had previously watched the first two seasons of Colony and really liked it. Um, it was co-created by Ryan J. Condor, who's now working on House of the Dragon, which I've talked about a lot, as you all know, if you've <laughs> even glanced at my feed. And... Uh, you know, I think it's a really smart and underseen show. The third season takes it in a slightly different direction, um, and I don't think it's as strong as previous seasons. There's a new location, um, which, in a way, it kind of freshens things up, but I feel that you kind of lose part of what made the show so great to begin with, which was the examination of the kind of dynamics between an occupying force and the native people or the the inhabitants of of the place that they're occupying and you know in in the early seasons I think in the first season particularly but also going into the second season you know you had a lot of stuff that was strongly inspired by the French resistance and that was really interesting And you kind of had an examination of why collaborators collaborate and what that looks like. And, you know, I thought that that was all done really well. And it also felt really timely because it was coming out kind of in the early days of the Trump presidency, having been made just before, and weirdly seemed to resonate with a lot of the kind of anxieties that were at large in the culture at that time, even though... I don't think it's possible that it was responding to those anxieties because of the kind of timeline of when it would have been made, but it just seemed to be, like, weirdly prescient. I think it's, you know, as it went on, it kind of started to lose that, especially as they, in the third season, introduced new locations and new plot elements that are still interesting, but maybe don't, like, quite have the same resonance some of those early season themes and ideas. It's now been cancelled after the third season and I kind of feel like I'm not that heartbroken about it because I kind of felt like it had gone as far as it could go really in telling the story that it wanted to tell. I'm sure they had other things lined up but to me it kind of felt like it had run its course 
That said, I did still find the third season really compelling with some fantastic writing and, you know, complex characters in difficult situations, navigating that, um, you know, in a way that I, I think was really intelligent. So I definitely think that all three seasons are worth a watch, even if I think that the kind of the resonance and the quality does start to drop off as the show goes along. But as I say, I would still... Uh, recommend giving it a watch if you haven't before. Okay, well, I'm going to wrap this up now because the episode went super long. I do hope that you enjoyed it regardless if you made it this far, and thank you if you did. I am intending to re-release my Christmas episode that I made a couple of years ago back into the feed if I can figure out how to do that on Acast. And if I can't, um, you know, just like scroll back. You'll find it. It's a Christmas episode. But uh, I'll be back in the new year talking about my faves of 2022 and, you know, with a bunch of other stuff, probably. Uh, I I should learn not to make promises about about what my future episodes are going to be because, as we know, uh, they don't always come true. But, uh, But, you know, I'll be back at some point and I will see you then. Or you'll hear me then. We won't see each other. You know how podcasts work.